and welcome to KeeperCast, the Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast. I'm Sammy. And I'm Star. And this is episode 34. This week we read Lodestar chapter 21 through 33. However, I did want to talk about some unlocked updates for a little bit first, because we got an excerpt on Shannon's Instagram of what I think is the first chapter of Unlocked, and I don't know. I have some thoughts about it. Okay, well, to start off, um, this is, like, on Shannon's Instagram, but this will be kind of getting into Unlocked spoilers since it's about an excerpt, so if you don't want to hear that, if you're staying away from that, uh, skip ahead of it. I will, I will edit in a timestamp. This is Sammy editing. Spoilers end at six minutes and three seconds. So, this scene is about, it's, it's when they first opened the cache because that's like how legacy ended if i remember correctly i don't trust my memory but i don't really know where to start with this because when i saw it for the first time first of all one we got no warning that this was going to happen so it just showed up on my instagram feed and i was like not prepared for it two kenrick is mentioned it looks like we're gonna get some sort of flashback about like Kenrick, because it seems like there's a scene with him and Orly that's being like projected from the from the cache, and that's going to be the forgotten secret. I am like less interested in what that forgotten secret contains, and I'm more interested in the fact that this means we're going to get Kenrick like speaking and being present in a scene all the way in book 8.5 and i'm so here for it honestly what an icon what an icon it's been what like 5.5 books since we've seen our best ashy so boy long. i am so glad to have ashy boy yes we have our ashy boy back admittedly it's in the form of like a hologram from the past but still i will take it i will take it honestly it's probably a good thing we're doing this because now I have an excuse to go back and listen to the Everglades episode so I can remember what, Kem- what Kenrick was like as a person. And I want that. I don't know. I just, I want to see my boy again. Here he comes. Although, uh, to be fair, there is like one part of this excerpt that I was kind of interested in plot-wise after I got over the fact that Kenrick was going to be in this book. Um... There's this line where Orly says, I knew Kenrick would be a part of this. He always insisted on being involved in everything I did. And part of what Orly did was be involved in the Black Swan. So now I'm just wondering how much Kenrick exactly knew about that. I'm going to set out a theory right now and just say enough to know that something was up, but not enough to actually be part of the Black Swan. Because you've got. He always insisted on being involved in everything I did, but then, but he doesn't look happy about it. And so... Right, so that's what comes after, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I feel like he knew that she was up to something, he knew there was something going on, and he knew that it was probably dangerous and might get her killed. But I also feel like the Black Swan wouldn't have gone, hmm, you seem really unwilling to do this and like you're only just here because you think we're gonna kill the person you love. Do you want to join? Like, I feel like the Black Swan wouldn't do that, if only because that seems like a great way to get your organization leaked. Yeah. No, that's true. 
I'm gonna say, though, I wouldn't be surprised if they went on missions together or something. Like, if, like, Orly had to do a thing for the Black Swan, he could just go to Kedrick and be like, I need to do a thing. You can't tell anyone. And we already knew they were keeping, like, a secret that would have cost them their jobs. It doesn't seem like too much of a stretch to also go, oh, you want to do this vaguely illegal thing? All right, sure. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, I could see that. I I saw someone post about, like, what if the Forgotten Secret isn't actually anything plot-related, but the, the secret is actually just that Orly and Kenrick were together? And, like, I feel like that would be the exact kind of thing that Shannon would pull. But, like, I don't, I don't know how I'd feel about that, honestly. See, my one question there was, why would it be forgotten? Like, we know they love each other. Did Orly put this in the cache? How did she get away true. putting that in the cache without the rest of the counselors finding out? Ooh, I don't know if this is brought up. Do the counselors know what's in everybody's cache, or do they only know what's in their own? Oh, you have a point. I thought they all knew, but we don't, that's not confirmed, is it? It might be, but I just forgot. Anyway, yeah, that's kind of all I have to say about, about the excerpt. It's gonna be a wild ride. It, it is. It sure is. It is coming out about a month earlier than, the, like, the first few chapters of, I forgot the name of this book, Unlocked, of Unlocked are coming out about um, a month before the rest of the book in the back of the Legacy paperback, which is on October 13th. So that is also a date to keep in mind because that's when I think more, some more spoilery stuff will start surfacing. That'd be a fun time. We're all gonna lose our minds. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I'm not really sure where to start with this chapter. Honestly, I think we should start by just like, so this is the section where Wiley gets kidnapped. <laughs> and this happens at the very end. Um, but do you want to talk about it now or like wait till the Maybe end? Maybe you want to talk about it now. Okay, yeah, let's let's do that. Oh, for a little justification, Wiley is one of my favorite side characters who have gotten way too attached to, and this I just this little section, I I love it to shreds because it's him and it's 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 emotionally charged and I love it. I think I think one of the things that Lodestar actually did, or, or maybe that was Nightfall, but one of the things, like, for some reason, whenever Shannon comes back to the idea of, wow, these kids were tortured and have been through and have had to struggle with it, I always find that, like, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, like, it's really interesting how she does keep coming back to, like, I mean, like, in the last section, they were, um, that was when Sophie and Dex went back to the caves where they had been kidnapped the first time and, like, had that kind of trauma. And I don't know, it seems like a thing that Shannon has been keeping going through these books and she's been doing it really well. Yes, I think it's a thing that happens sometimes. And, like, it doesn't come up all the time, but when it does, it usually, I don't know, I feel like it works. I feel like it works for me specifically. Yeah. No, it, it works for me too. I, yeah. So, Wiley gets kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> F in the chat for Wiley. F. I think one of the things I really, I don't know if admire, no, I guess admire would be the word, is how everything kind of builds towards this. And like, like we get, um, 
we get he was kidnapped. We get Wiley was attacked. Then we get um, this line. Wiley must have crawled for the door with the last of his strength after what desperate measures he used to escape. He still had bonds on his feet and partial bonds on his wrists and he reeked of sedatives. And Ooh. that alone is enough to like, it's these, it's these small, relatively clinical details about like, here's how we found him. Here's what that implies. Here's how we found him. And yet, all of the implications of that are just horrifying. And the rest of this chapter and the rest of the next chapter take place in that, in that whole, like, realm through that lens of, oh god, we know how they found him. We know, we have some idea of, like, of, of, of what happens now. What does that imply about what they did to him? And we get two chapters of that before we actually find out. Yeah, it's just like, it's such good build-up. And also, the absolutely horrifying line, they didn't have a telepath, so their only choice was torture. Like, something about that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I don't... Oh, I just realized something now. I, I mean, again, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but the Neverseen did have a telepath. They had Gethin, but the Black Swan captured Gethin. So in a way, this was kind of their fault, partially. Sammy, I'm screaming. I mean, not physically screaming because that would be really loud, but like, oh my God, you're right. And, and of course, like, that's not to say that, like, oh, they were at fault for Wiley's torture because, like, you know, the same thing where it's like, yeah, we did this, but we could predict it would lead to these consequences. It's like, maybe you shouldn't have tortured him. Maybe that was the bad moral decision. But, oh, boy, God. I, oh, gee, now I want to see them struggle with that. Now I want to see them struggle with the acknowledgement that, like, what if what they're doing is making things worse? Oh, my God. That's so fascinating. Sammy, that's genius. I don't know, I just, like, <laughs> I just, like, thought of it now, and was like, oh, man, that sure has some implications, doesn't it? Chapter 31 to 33 is just like, what if we had all the implications? What if we implied just everything terrible? All of her speaking of, speaking of that, right, like, um, it was Alvar who was, Alvar was one of the people who participated in kidnapping Wiley, right? And, like, Fitz was having to deal with that guilt, but you brought up something interesting before we started recording, which was, what if the scenario had been if Keith had been one of the people who was kidnapping Wiley, and would that have been, like, a line that he would have been willing to cross or not? I feel like Keith wouldn't have been willing to cross it. Like, like as a character, I feel like he... If given the choice, he would have been like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Like, just, just, just what I know from him. But I don't know. May- maybe this is residual, residual, like, I guess maybe the word would be bitterness from, from the end of Never Seen. But, like, I feel like one of the things that making Keith a double agent does in this book, and you have said this in better terms and far more in depth than I will right now, but, like, it gives him a pass on betraying him, essentially. And I feel like having 
putting Keith in a position where it's like, no, you need to look at what the actual consequences of being double agent are. And sometimes those actual consequences are going to mean that the people you're working for, because they do horrible things, are going to ask you to participate in, in, in horrible things. And like, I mean, I guess look at the consequences is not the right way to put it. But it would have, basically, it would have driven a wedge between him and Sophie, between him and everyone and it would have felt like oh there were actual ramifications of him becoming a double agent it meant something and what it meant was that keith had to do something terrible in order to retain his place as a double agent and he did it potentially for the right reasons but that doesn't justify that someone got horribly horribly hurt and what does sophie who who has been through something similar what does dex who has been through something similar do with that information yeah no exactly you put it like perfectly i feel like that would have been incredibly fascinating ground to dig into and i mean clearly we didn't because keith wasn't part of that but i just i feel like I wanted Keith being a double agent to matter, I guess, like, in a way that I don't remember it doing so. And I feel like even if, even if nothing in the plot changes, this would have made it matter emotionally. Like, this would have meant that Keith could not come back to their group and have everything be the same, because none of them would be able to look at him the same way, and he would not be able to look at himself the same way. And I feel like after Never Seen, which was the whole point was like, Keith was like, oh my God, who am I? I don't know who I am. This, that might've been a really interesting way to pull that thread through. Like, okay, you don't know who you are. You went to the Never Seen to find out who you are. And now you have to deal with, well, who you, your past, sure, it makes you, but also your present does and the choices you make in the present do. and. One of the choices you made in the present was to assist in this, and you have to live with that now. Yeah. See, that would have been an excellent direction for the story to go. It really would have. But it didn't. And, like, this sort of ties into, actually, I've... There's this theme that I have noticed this time around throughout just Lodestar. I didn't notice it in any of the other books. but twice now okay so in in this section basically um sophie at some point she says like we're the quote is we're all just trying to do everything we can to help people and that was in the context of her and dex talking about squall and how they how the black swan torture get then in i think the last book those lines, it seems to me that, like, the book seems to be saying that pretty much the intentions justify the actions. Like, yeah, like, the I remember now, the other quote was, like, as long as your intentions are good, you know, so it's along, like, it's okay to do so. <laughs> I don't remember exactly, but, like, that seems to be the stance that this book is taking, which is very interesting. Um, seeing. Keith's arc in this book specifically and how it seems like like any bad things he might hypothetically be forced to do by the never seen are like justified by because his intentions are to get information for Sophie and for his 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 his, bleh, his friends. 
And I mean, like, that's the thing, isn't it? You can only, like, you can only say the intentions justify the means up to a point. Because at some point, when you start describing the means, it's like, oh, wait, that's actually horrifying. And I, I actually, I forgot. I've never seen tortured Geth- uh, not never seen, but the, the Black Swan tortured Gethin. But in the context of this, it's like, what makes- I mean, I guess- I guess you can say that, like, well, Gethin was already part of this. He was already- he made that choice. That was his choice, you know, like, he's a prisoner of war, I guess. But, like, even then, even then, not to be the person who brings war crimes into it again, but that's a war crime! Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, like, okay, so, no, technically the Geneva Conventions do not exist in the Lost Cities. However, however, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like freezing off someone's fingernails does cross a line that, like, it is a war crime, no matter whether or not there are actual laws against it. And I mean, like, I think, at least for me, when I say the Geneva Convention doesn't allow that, like, it's not to be like, oh, well... That's actually illegal because the Geneva Convention definitely exists in the elves' world, but like things like that, things that we all decide we're not doing that because it's horrifying. We do that, at least I, I want to believe that we do that because of a moral reason. Like, we don't torture people because it's a war crime, but it's a war crime because it is morally reprehensible. More and more now in Coddle, like, as we go through the books, I feel like they're trying to justify the war crimes more rather than just sort of stating that they happen. Like, earlier in Lodestar, there was, like, a part where the council was pretty much like, yeah, well, it's okay for us to train children in, like, destroying things using telekinesis because the ogres have child soldiers too, so we're just leveling the playing field. And I'm like, hmm. Okay, then. Like, there is a story to be told about making moral concessions because, you know, like, that's how you survive and that's how you prevent being obliterated and, like, you know, you do what you have to because you have to. But I don't think, like, the issue is, I think Keeper of the Lost Cities is operating off the idea that its protagonists are fundamentally good people. So that's the issue. And so it's like, it's hard to say, yeah. Like, oh, these are fundamentally good people. Also, they're doing terrible things, but it's okay because they have to and they're good people. And it's like, you can say that, but also if you're going to go that way, we should probably see them wrestle with it a little more, maybe. It just feels so complicated. What part exactly? Just, I'm looking through where they reveal that Julian is Squall, and it just feels like... Ah, uh, yes. There's so much there, and it feels just super Yeah, it's a lot. And I get why it doesn't really get brought back to, because, you know, Dex isn't the protagonist, Sophie is, and you got things to do and places to be, and you can probably read into, like, some of the other stuff that happens in later books is like, this is Dex dealing with that. But it just feels like there's so much there. And I understand there's never time to dig into everything. This book is already so long. But I just... I feel like the Black Swan should maybe think about some consequences <laughs> to what they're doing. 
And maybe just consider that. Uh-huh. It's like... With the Julian as Squall thing, though, I actually do think that it was given its proper consequences in this book, or at least, like, a decent amount of attention. I was actually surprised reading this section that, like, they spent, I think, at least a whole chapter, multiple chapters, on sort of dealing with the implications of that and, like, having Dex and Kessler and various characters react to that and sort of grapple with it. And I do agree that I think it could have been spread out more because I think they, I think all of those reactions were crammed into, like, one section that didn't have anything breaking it up. It's all in one chapter, yeah. Yeah, but, but I did actually really like how they dealt with that reveal. I think it's, I think you're right. I think that it is, it is good. There, there, there's, there's a lot of acknowledgement that, like, this was the thing that happened, and that matters. To be honest, though, I mean, how that was handled, though, it just made me think, like, oh, wow, they, more time was spent dealing with the reveal that Julian is in the Black Swan. More time was spent on that than was spent on any of these characters finding out that Keith had gone over to the Neverseen side. Yeah, like, like, what's the end? We're, we're going back to that whole, like, because he's a double agent, it doesn't matter that he did it, and it's like, but that's... Like, they do have a few conversations, right, about, about Keith, but they're mostly just arguments about whether or not they can trust him. Those conversations never really get into, like, the emotional heart of it. It's all just like, oh, well, he did so-and-so, can we trust him? And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't deal with any of Fitz's feelings, any of Sophie's feelings, any of that. And at the end of the day, like, they, they do choose to trust him. And I, I would have been fascinated to see someone be like, look, fine. I get, I get that logically we can trust him because we know he's a double agent. But, like... I'm his friend, and he didn't tell me that. And, like, I mean, not to, not to bring this up again, but, like, um, Julene, in, in the reveal, she says, I've never done anything I didn't believe in, but that doesn't mean I haven't crossed hard lines. And that comes back to what you were saying earlier about, like, justifying things um, by, by, like, you know, I, I was doing what I believe in. But basically what I'm saying is, like, I know that the hard lines phrase when Sophie says like is that one of the hard lines Keith would have crossed is probably a sort of callback to this line but I'm just saying wouldn't it have been fascinating if you just gone all the way with it and said yeah that was a hard line and Keith crossed it I'm sorry to be so stuck on this but I just I think about I'm gonna be thinking about this now and I mean like what is that hard line though I feel like I feel like that's never been really defined. And I wonder, would it be a different line for, like, whether Keith can forgive himself or whether his friends can forgive him? Like, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about. I think it'd be a different line. Um, but I don't think that line... I can't tell whether that line would be, you can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. Or I can forgive me because I have to in order to live with myself, but you guys can't. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, 
I think it's very interesting. And I I don't know where it would have gone. We'll, we'll never know where it would have gone. But boy, oh boy, now I have... Hmm. Speaking of Wiley, though, let's go into a boy's brain. All right. That's... Ooh, boy. Oh, boy, I... Okay, I actually love all of the scenes where Sophie's going into, like, broken minds or unconscious people's minds. Like, they're just so weird and surreal, and, like, there's all this weird stuff going on, and I just really, I love those scenes. They're always so good, and they're so full of, like, these incredible, like, these incredible images and these, like, single moments that stick out in your brain. I don't remember what book this is even from. But the image of Joe Lee and the Sing Swan Spring Swan, then looks yeah. fly, like that moment lives in my brain rent free. Honestly, yeah. So Sophie's going into Wiley's mind. He shows up as his six-year-old self, yet still with like the memories of his. How old is he at this point? Eighteen, nineteen. I think he's nineteen. Nineteen. Okay, but yeah. And not to me, not to repeat this perpetually, but the image of Wiley, a six, like six-year-old Wiley, as he tries to talk about what he went through, like jerking back, Ugh. and how and how the wounds start to show up on on his body as he gets older. Yeah. I, oh my god! Rent-free, Sammy. Rent-free. <sighs> God, Wiley deserves to be happy. God, Wiley deserves to be happy. I just... So much of this. So much of this. is. It, it, do I just love this? Because it's 302% all my favorite tropes in a series of three chapters? Maybe. Maybe, Sammy. You know, that's valid. But it's like, just a list of a couple lines that I think about, like, whenever I read this, I, I cry. Um, one. Awake sounds hard. <gasps> and just that single line and how much it encapsulates, like, just... And, 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 and I forget where exactly this happens, but, like, but I won't be the same, will I? How? That just... Oh, it all hurts. And it then, hurts so much. I'm just, I'm just going through this, like, no, it's never going to be easier. I won't be the same, though, will I? Part of the pain will never go away, but you're a survivor, right? Not by choice. That entire exchange. I have so many emotions. I have so many emotions. Like, like, see, once again, this is the thing. I can't tell whether it's just, that, like, see, like, seeing characters in these positions is just one of my favorite things, like, in general, or if it's just because Shannon knows how to write torture. And I don't know. Like, I do mean that as a compliment, but just... Honestly, I feel like it's good writing. I mean, like, I think... I think it, like, it does use... It does use the tropes really well, and I do like a lot of those tropes and similar ones as well. But then, like, it's also just emotional. It's done well here! And I mean, like, how many, how many books, like, well, I mean, maybe you can think of ones. I can't off the top of my head, they probably exist, but there is something so powerful in, but you're a survivor, right? 
Not by choice. Not by choice! Like, like how many stories, I can't think of any that I've read recently, although I haven't been reading as much recently. College is wild. But how many stories have, 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 have taken that whole, like, we're survivors, we get through this, we're strong, and gone, yeah, because the world made us. Like, like, now that I say that, now that I rephrase it like that, I can come up with a couple stories like that. All of them are D&D campaigns, I'm sorry. But, like, just the sheer power of we are survivors because the world said we had to be and it was that or die. And that was a cruelty and an injustice. And that's that. Like, it, it shouldn't have happened. We didn't want it. It didn't. Now we have to live with it. And I love that trope with every fiber in my being. Oh my god. That moment when they ask what he was asking and he just, like, flashes back to his form in the present. And then you get, sorry, I guess I'm not as strong as you thought. You're stronger. You've been through so much. Too much. I don't know if I can take anymore. Maybe you won't have to. They're planning to erase the worst memories. No, they can't. And that juxtaposition of, I don't know if I can take this, versus they are not allowed to take it away from me. It matters too much to lose. Like, I am not willing to forget this because maybe it was worth something. Maybe there's something important there. You're not allowed to erase those memories, even if, even when they hurt. I, there's so much, there are so many reasons you could say that. And there are so many ways you could interpret it, but just the juxtaposition between, I don't know if I can take any more, don't you dare let them take it from me. There's so much in this one chapter that just, it breaks my heart. I love him. I love him. And I think he's fascinating. And I think that the way he, re like, the way he reacts to this is just so, I don't even know what the words for it, like resonant maybe? I don't know, but I just, I love this scene and I, I love this chapter and I love Wiley. All right, what are we missing? Well, I guess, okay, so overall, most of the section takes place at Rhymeshire, which is Dex's house, um, where they're, like, hanging out for a little bit because they think Grady and Edeline are going to be attacked by the Never Seen because Keith said so, and then he was wrong. It was Wiley. So that's, like, the main thing that goes on they find out that the imparters bugged, and then they talk telepathically. They find out that it's that Keith's imparter is bugged, not Sophie's. So, like, his imparter got switched out with Sophie's. I don't remember what that means. Like, I know there was stuff with Keith's imparter. Was that in, like, Never Seen? Or, no, it might have been later. Um, it, yeah, it happened, um, it happened earlier in this book, because there was a point where they were, like, searching through Candleshade, and then I think, like, at some point, Sophie probably just put down her imparter and then accidentally picked up Keefe's. I just know that there was one thing where they, like, needed to use blood to unlock something in the imparter. Yeah, that was a nightfall. Mmm, there we go. Or wait, it might have been a lodestar. I can't remember, but yeah, it happened at some time around there. Oh. During this sleepover at Dex's house, Dex comes up with a theory that the lodestar initiative is the Never Seen's version of Project Moonlark. And oh boy, I have some thoughts about this theory because that was the theory I had before Lodestar came out. Like, exactly. 
And I feel like, and I still, to this day, I feel like it would have made so much sense had it been true. Right. I'm about to um, reveal myself as knowing absolutely nothing and therefore have completely unjustifiably been chatting on about my opinions for the past far too long. It's not true? Um, okay. So, it's possible I'm wrong because my memory is not great, especially when it comes to these books. But I don't think it's true because it's... I don't think that... If you look at the later books, I don't think Keith is an exact copy of Sophie. Just because, like, I feel like his, uh, like his abilities and what for what it seems like his purpose seems to be a little different. Like, they were both genetically engineered to a certain extent, but they weren't created to oppose each other. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was like, wait, no, I thought Keith's whole thing was that he was genetically engineered to have more abilities and be stronger than the normal elf, and they did it by messing around with certain things and, like, whatever Shadow Vapor is and all of that, and, like, is that not what Project Moonlark was? So, okay, no, that makes sense. So, they weren't directly created to oppose each other, but no, because I was just looking at, like, the surface similarities and going, I thought they were pretty much the same in terms of that, but you're right about them not being created to oppose each other. Which then begs the question, what was Keith created for? And, yeah, here lies the question. I still have no idea what the Lodestar Initiative is. And I think you're absolutely right. If it was made in response to, you know, whatever the, whatever the Neverseen was hearing about Project Moonlark, that would give, one, a answer that ties things together, and two, I don't want to say a doable solution, but, like, it would present a really interesting contrast and maybe actually tie things back to the whole human versus elves thing that's been going on since book one what would be interesting would be if it was kind of the other way around if project moonlark was in response to the lodestar initiative because sophie is a little younger than keith see i was thinking that i was thinking that maybe the lodestar initiative had happened because they'd heard like oh project moonlark is a thing and they They managed to get it off the ground faster but that concept is fascinating because we've been looking at Project Moonlark as like the inciting incident, I guess, is the whole thing. Like, this starts with the Moonlark, but if it started with the Never, oh, that would be so cool. Yeah, right? Like, I mean, although that still doesn't really help us, like, know what exactly the point of the Lodestar Initiative was, but that would be interesting. I feel like what's what I like about that idea is that it kind of it ties these different threads together. And I feel like especially in the later books, a lot of things get brought up and then don't necessarily tie back together in a satisfying way. And so I feel like saying, "No, Project Moonlark was created in response to the Lodestar initiative" kind of ties at least some of that stuff together. Like, okay, here's how the Moonlight Project ties into this. Here's how the Lodestar, like, here's how the Lodestar Initiative, here's how they're connected to each other. And here's how that connects the Black Swan and the Neversean. And it feels like, oh, these things are coming together. Yeah. 
but that may not be the case, so we'll see what happens. Also, by the way, this is where we get some of the first uh, Lone Star codes, which is pretty cool. Um, see, the thing is, like, I said this earlier, but I love this, I love the Lone Star as a puzzle. Like, I love that we get to watch them solve a puzzle. What I don't like is that I literally don't remember why it matters? Or, like, what they do with it. Like, I'm scrolling down, and it looks like, oh, that's how they get to the, uh, hideout. Which matters because... And it's like... <laughs> yeah. I... I don't quite mind that. I think because... I think it was meant to be sort of one thing that, like, was self-contained in Lodestar, kind of like the plague was in Never Seen. So, like, I don't really mind that not coming up in later books, but I do agree that it, I don't know, it felt different from The Plague in Never Seen just because Sophie had so little to do with it. Like, they found, they found the symbol in Keef's cloak, and then Dex is the one who solves it, and then the Black Swan adults are the ones who end up going to the hideouts and destroying them. So, like, it just feels oddly separate. So much else feels like it's going on around this, um, around this symbol that I don't actually remember how they solve it at all. And I, I just found it. I just found it. Um, and it took way too long. But I just found it. And it's so much else is going on around this let's find the symbol that... I think we get the codes, like, we get those first three codes all the way back in 31, and then they don't actually come up again until 46 or something. And then they put it together in 47. And so it's like, like, I, I do escape rooms sometimes, and it's like, it's a series of steps of a puzzle that eventually builds to a final solution. But this one feels like, oh, we get it, maybe it's binary. Oh, wait, that's confusing, it doesn't make sense, and it's too simple. Uh, well, it's not binary, and now it's solved. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> that was quick, basically. There was a little bit at the beginning of the section, which I was kind of interested in, actually, but it doesn't have much to do with, like, every anything else. It was, um, like, Grady was having this discussion with Sophie about controlling her abilities and like how and how um like he was saying like he like having such a great power like being a mesmer made him just like he would kind of just like mesmer people on a whim and until he realized like oh wait that's kind of messed up um and we also got a bit of bronte backstory which i totally forgot about and was very interested in um that basically Bronte was kind of the same way until he ended up, I guess, accidentally inflicting on his mother. And then that's when he realized that, like, oh, he has to, like, train himself. I might be reading too much into this. <laughs> um, but, but I find the adults' backstories actually, like, really fascinating. Especially since in the annotated edition, um, Shannon said that she actually has backstories, like, written out for most of the adults. And now, like... I want to see them. I want to see more than just hints. I'm very interested. Shannon, give us the forbidden adults lore. But no, I think, I think you're super right about that. Especially because 
that paragraph there where Grady does be like, this is what happened to me. And, like, this is, th- this is where I went, and this is how I got to a dark place, and this is how someone else helped catch me in that dark place, and how we learn to, I'm going to say these words so many times, but, like, live with it, and how you deal with that. And I just, I don't know, like, I've been rereading these books, and I know, I know I complain so much, but I'm actually kind of being reminded why I like them in the first place, because when they're good, they're good. And, like, maybe I I, I will whine a bunch about the overarching plot, but there are these, like, emotional moments that really do resonate and have meaning. And, like, the concept of, like, he built up so much anger and frustration he has to keep it all tangled up in a knot deep inside of him. A constant pressure he fights every day to keep him unraveling. And I just... I don't know. I, I think about that. And I think about how, like, that resonates with, with me personally for, for my own reasons. And how, like, there's something really, really meaningful about looking at a child who you care for and who you're supposed to protect and going, hey, I was there. I know what it's like to walk that path. I'm just saying, be careful. Take care of yourself and keep yourself safe because I know I've seen adults made that make this mistakes. I've make that mistake. I've made that mistake and I want you to be happy and I want you to feel cared for and safe. And there's something really meaningful about that. Like we've talked before about how parental relationships are a really meaningful part of this series, but you know, here it is again. And I think that's really meaningful, I guess, and emotional and honest and so like you know i complain about the plot a lot but the point is when these books are good they get it like when these books get it they are good and when they are good they get it yeah no i i agree with everything you said anyway i'm gonna go be emotional about grady on the floor for like half an hour now (laughs) i think that's everything i could talk about wiley for another half an hour but i will be restraining myself because oh my god if i keep doing that i'm gonna cry (laughs) all right um then let's wrap up so you can find us at keepercast on tumblr and the keepercast on instagram and you can also find me at malamelting on both tumblr and instagram um you can find me at sing-swan-spring-swan um so sing swan spring swan with a dash in between every word uh, at tumblr.com and Stardreamer 2 on Archive of Rome. Next week, we will be reading chapters 34 through 43 of Lodestar. There was no need for an and there. This has been KeeperCast. See you next week. <laughs>